0: Yeah. Market The, S&P, the Stop. This is Motley Fool
1: Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, well, may or may not have a deal. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. How are you? G'day, Captain. How are you? I'm very, very well. We might have a deal. Now, I'm not talking about the Channel 7 show at 5.30 on weeknights. I'm talking about a big, big deal. We may just have a deal on Brexit. Or not by the time you hear this podcast. But at the moment, it looks like it might possibly happen. We'll talk about that this week, mate. We'll also talk about my drive, push, uh, badgering people to get a better rate. There's a hashtag that goes with it. Stay tuned for that one. The latest attack of the short sellers. Wise Tech is now on the block, but is it fact or fiction? We'll have a look at that one. We'll look at the Latitude IPO, which got pulled. Are we looking at WeWork 2.0 or something else going on, mate? Get excited. I'm getting on my high horse. It's going to happen. You pumped?
2: More high horse. <laughs>
1: more high horse. And we will dip, as always, into the full mailbag. Let's get on with it. Real money advice
0: from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Mate, The news overnight is that Boris Johnson and his counterparts in the EU may finally, possibly, depending on who you believe and what detail you look at, have a deal on Brexit. Now, we're not necessarily Brexit experts here, nor are we particularly keen on the geopolitics angle. But I am curious as to how you're expecting that potential bit of news or the bit of potential news uh, this, course, could be a trade deal in the, in, the, in the sort of China and the US that have been allegedly having trade deal deals for, I think, about six months so far. But assuming this happens, what does it mean, if anything, for investors in Australia?
2: First of all, I'll just say that, um, you know, it's like the cry wolf situation, right? <laughs> there's been so much cry wolf that oh, I don't know which, which news to <laughs> believe. So, even if it comes from the horse's mouth, I mean, it's hard to believe. In this particular case, at least, it looks like the the EU and the government of the UK mm. have come to an agreement. Right. But my understanding <laughs> is that the deal needs approval from the British Parliament. Now, if it doesn't get approved for British Parliament for whatever reason, mm. uh, then there might not be any deal. Uh, so there's there's a little wrinkle there. Um, in, in terms of investing, I mean, is there some? I mean, a lot of I wouldn't say a lot, but some of our financial services companies, for example, have UK exposure. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think consumer businesses that have exposure it's not a big deal. Mm. But uh, for the financial services businesses, there's there's exposure to UK, which has there's been a bit of uncertainty there. Um, some certainty there would would help um right but overall like i mean uh, yeah i for 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 all the investors on the asx i mean the i, I think the overall impact i would say it's small it's not mm. not a big deal but there, there are companies like for example bravura premium which you know operate in sort of the fintech space mm. that have exposure to uh, uh, the uk um and and for them i think this is this is good news
1: Mm. It's a funny one. I mean, to some degree, too, we, whether there's a deal or not on Brexit is kind of one question. The other question we don't yet know the answer to is what does the deal actually mean for the, for, for England in particular, for Britain in particular. Um, the, you know, coming out of Europe is still the question we haven't answered yet, right? So on, to some degree, this deal is a deal to make it happen. We don't yet quite know what happens when it happens. If that makes sense, we don't really know yet. You know, does does the UK pulling out of the EU is it a big is it a non event? I mean, it's very possible it ends up being one of those non event kind of outcomes because both groups find a way to effectively make it business as usual for all intents and purposes. Um, of course, on the flip side, maybe this is a horrible thing, and we do see you know meaningful economic slump in in Britain as. Europe basically turns inward and moves away from from the UK. There'll be some, I'm sure, in the EU parliament or EU bureaucracy who want to see um, Britain pay in some way, shape, or form for pulling out. That's the thing I guess we don't yet know, right? So the fact that a deal is being done to make it happen is only really the first cab off the rank. I think there's still a little bit to play out.
2: Yeah, that, I think that that's a fair assessment. There's, there's a little bit of play out there. There's some wrinkle around how uh, Northern Ireland, for example, is going to be, right?
1: Uh, which basically is,
2: you know, how Ireland is going to be actually be a part of uh, the deal and how, you know, how they're going to deal with Ireland versus the rest of the... Well, this uh, is fascinating, Europe, Right, right? So, so that's the fascinating part. I
1: Northern think. Ireland kind of goes into the European Customs Union under the proposed mm. deal, and they're going to have to put some sort of customs border between the UK and Northern Ireland when... Basically, and I don't want to oversimplify this and I'm not an expert in geopolitics, but effectively the whole deal about you know the Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland has been exactly that. Are they part of the UK or not? Where do we put the borders in? How does that this work? I mean, mm. it, 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 it's almost a step towards the reunification of Ireland in some way, shape or form, which allegedly the, the Unionist Party in Ireland are not going to vote for, as you said. Yes. So this may still fall over. I guess having a deal, as you say, on paper with the EU is one thing. Whether Johnson can deliver on that deal is another. <coughs> Excuse me, and then again, whether we end up with some sort of outcome that works or not is probably a third question we still have to answer. So, fair to say, a little bit more detail <laughs> required before we know what happens next. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. All right. Well, and look, I, for those who listen to us regularly, you'll know our next answer. I, I guess, though, mate, the, the for 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 you know for better or worse. Other than those companies that are specifically involved, and I guess you are, we, we are kind of a, obliged to have a view on Brexit if one of our companies has meaningful business in the UK or Europe, right? Like at some level, it, we can say we don't know and that's okay too, but you can't really say, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But for most of us who are investing in companies that aren't in, in the UK or Europe in, in big, big ways, if you have an Australian portfolio or a US portfolio where that it just doesn't make that much difference, I think we'd probably still say, look, for all of the bluster and all the headlines, we're still better off most of us Effectively ignoring it because it's one of those "these two shall pass" kind of moments, right? If if I own shares in Woolworths in Australia or Telstra, which I happen to do, by the way, uh, or, or you know, uh, it, at Google or an Amazon. And again, I own shares in both. You own shares in Amazon. These disclaimers are getting long. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter, right? For those companies, it may it may well add volatility, but we shouldn't really be, I mean, spending any time really thinking about it in any detail, unless our businesses have. Decent exposure, export exposure, or on-the-ground exposure in one of those jurisdictions.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I think the main, as I said, for financial businesses, there 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 were concerns about how transactions across the right. UK and the transactions that are between the UK and um, Europe are going to be managed. Right. right. So so those I think were the were were sort of the were the issues. Um, but yeah, I feel like if your business, which is consumer-focused, which has even got UK exposure, Europe exposure, really mm. is, um, I think, a non-event in that sense. I mean, such events keep happening. Like, you know, there are larger geopolitical issues here. Like, you know, if this is <laughs> does this mean it becomes easier to get out of the European Union? What does it mean for the European Union? Uh, I mean, you know, you know, if slowly people start bleeding out of the European Union, is it really right. a problem? It's probably not. Uh, I mean, you know, it just depends, right? So, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Um, yeah I I wouldn't fret too much about it expect except as I said for businesses that are you know, in the fintech space with specific exposure with a decent business um, exposed to the UK
1: nice let's move on shall we mate I'm uh, I'm gonna talk about something one of my favorite hobby horses not the high horse just a hobby horse stand by Value stocks. market,
0: Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All
1: right, mate. I've banged on about this many, many, many times. I'm going to bang on about it many, many more times because, frankly, I don't know there's much more we can do for most people in terms of making them richer. So if you if you want to get richer... You got to start listening right now. For the next couple of minutes, start listening right now. I have a, a favourite hashtag on Twitter. It's my favourite hashtag because I made it up, uh, and and unfortunately, no one else yet has <laughs> has caught on. I'm sure they're about to. I'm I'm, I'm absolutely sure they're about you, to. You so. Haven't you asked the banks to uh, <laughs> to adopt? Funnily enough, they haven't done that, mate. Um, so that my my hashtag is hashtag Get a better rate. It's pretty much what it says on the tin. I've been ranting for a very long time. Look, we will drive across town to save a couple of cents on petrol. Or well, many of us will. I don't personally, but some of us will. You don't because you've got a Tesla, which is a whole different
2: whole different question. I, I, I drive for free. <laughs> I'll drive across town for free uh, you, electricity. You would do that. This is true. <laughs> uh,
1: so you know, we do that, and and we try. You know, we want to save you know eighty four cents on a pack of Arnett shapes at Woolies, or we'll buy an extra extra I don't know twenty four pack of Coke because it's on special. We do a lot to save some money. The amount of or the lack of any effort whatsoever most people go to save money on their mortgage is absolutely astounding. When you think it could literally be costing you up to six weeks you could buy a Tesla and a half, right for the amount of money some people could save on their mortgages by literally making 20 minute phone call to their banks. And it, it drives me absolutely spare. Now, if you're listening to this right now and you've heard this before, and you're like, dude, I've already done it. I've done it twice. I am I know I'm getting the best rate. Then fantastic, good on you. You get to go and stop listening for the next 60, 90 seconds. Um, go and make yourself a, a cuppa or grab a beer if this is after hours. Um, come back, because we'll still be talking. For those who haven't, unless you know you're getting the lowest rate in the market, why you wouldn't be calling your bank every three months, every six months saying, hey, I see so-and-so over there has got a better rate than you guys have. What are you going to do to keep me? And for, the, for most people, there is a decent saving. If they say nothing, you've wasted 20 minutes, right? Now, that's not much fun, but it's hardly a problem. If they give you a reduction of 0.1%, 0.2%, 0.3%, there's tens of thousands of dollars. If you don't want tens of thousands of dollars, give it to me. If, if you honestly have that much cash, you don't care how much you're paying on your mortgage, give it to me, please. Now, I, I'm bringing up only well two reasons. One is because I generally like to rant about this stuff. The second is I want to give a rap to Peter Sullivan on Twitter. Now, Peter hit me up during the week. He said, hi, Scott, just spent 20 minutes on the phone with ING and had our variable rate reduced by, his dramatic pause, 1.06%. Wasn't that 20 minutes well spent? Thanks for the steer, Peter. 1%. That's One pretty percent. massive. That's I, massive, I don't actually. know Peter's circumstance. I don't know how old he is, how long he's paying off his loan at, what his mortgage is. If Peter's not going to save hundred grand out of this, I'd be bloody surprised. Just on the law of averages, right? Maybe he's not. Maybe he's in the 29th year of a a $200,000 mortgage and that's great. If he's anywhere near the first third of his mortgage and he's borrowing anywhere near the average loan, the amount of money you pay in interest over that period, I would, again, I can't guarantee anything. I don't want to make any sort of false claims, but As I said, if Peter's not saving six figures, I'd be bloody surprised. And if most of our listeners can't save something similar, half that, a quarter of that. Mm. If you don't want to save 20 grand, again, give it to me. If honestly you are that well off, you don't care. If you can save 30, 40, 50, what if you could save 60 or 80 grand? Listening to this right now and you don't do anything after this podcast, I will be absolutely staggered. So please, for the love of God, you listen to us for great investment advice that hopefully builds your wealth. That's wonderful. You buy a cheap Coke when it's on special woolies, fantastic. Please, please go and get a better rate. Hashtag get a better rate. Hit us up on the Twitters. Hit us up on Instagram. Hit us up on Facebook. Let us know you'll get a better rate story. You'll feel good about yourself. You get to a little bit of a little bit of showing off. And hopefully you'll motivate some of your fellow listeners and readers to do the same thing yourself.
2: You know, when you when you do that on Twitter, maybe you should use the hashtag. Well I'm telling our listeners.
1: Nice.
2: Use get get a better rate hashtag. And I like maybe it hashtag the bank that actually also or, or, or add the rate of the bank that actually gave you a better you know better deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So, you, you know, you give them, you know, talk them up. And mm-hmm. maybe, you know, if you want to be really nasty, you can talk down the bank that didn't give you a better deal. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: is it, I, I am fascinated. I mean, look, human human incentives or human behavior is just so fascinating, right? We talk about it a lot with investing. The, the things that we do or don't do investing-wise because of our – our unevolved brains or our, our partially evolved brains. And I don't say that as critical. You and I have the same brain as anyone else listening. We're not saying they're bad. We're saying we're as bad. Our brains simply haven't caught up with modern finance. We just can't do those things instinctively. We can run away from lions. We can climb trees. Well, someone's can climb trees. I can't climb trees. Um, you know, we can do things that we, we, we kind of, you know, evolved to do well. We haven't evolved to do our finance as well. We just haven't had that change in our evolutionary biology, right? And so that's just, just fascinating. But, our laziness, our, our lack of kind of drive and interest when it comes to how much we're paying on bank fees, on interest, on... If we had a straw poll, people, their credit card fees, it's going get a better rate. If I asked 15 people in the street, I guarantee you nobody would know exactly what their credit card interest rate is. They might know kind of roughly, they might know kind of roughly their annual fee they're paying. But again, you know, it's great for the banks because they get to do this stuff. We don't actually see it, right? If you If you had to pay every month a payment of your principal... And then a separate payment of interest, and they had to say, This cost me this much because this is your interest rate, and it would cost this much less if you had a lower rate. We'd all go and change, or at least a lot of us would. But it's one lump sum, and it's a large amount anyway, and we kind of don't think we can do anything about it. And so we kind of just forget about it, right? And it's the single largest, I think, impact you can have, guaranteed return you can get, is simply go to your bank and get a better rate. Shall I move on? Let's move on. That's not even the high horse, dude. This
2: almost it's really sounds a very like a ranty the high horse. episode, isn't it? No, this is sounding like the high horse already. Ah,
1: so the next topic. That's where the high horse comes in.
0: Okay. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to
1: fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, so this week, in fact, only on... Was it Thursday afternoon? Yesterday, yeah. So, we're recording this on Friday morning in the sunny surrounds of the Southern Highlands, by the way. If this sounds a little bit different, don't blame the techs at Triple M. Uh, blame us because we're recording this at my place in the Southern Highlands of New South Wales. Uh, mate, so yesterday afternoon, Wise Tech was hit by one of the infamous and frankly dreaded. Short selling reports that seem to drop on our market every month or so over the last year. This time, as I said, it was Wise Tech. It was a company called J Capital, the letter J, J Capital, who are alleging, among other things, some issues with what they call revenue recognition. In other words, when you get to count the sales, that's a kind of a big deal. Um, they're they're questioning the way that the auditing's been done by the accountants or the auditors, I should say, in terms of individual um, subsidiaries around the world. They're also this is, I think, a first for me in a major short case. Alleging that WiseTech are actually, alleging is probably the right word, are making up revenue, but also, which was bizarre, making up expenses, now, lots and lots of stuff around. This is a very very thick report. Um, lots of graphs, lots of allegations, a photo of a of a small car with a WiseTech logo in their in their car park, which I think is probably just a short seller. You need to show you actually did some sort of on the ground research. So you show a car with a logo outside headquarters and say see we've we've been there. We've done the, we've done the work. We've we've put it in the, the boot leather. Uh mate, that all that notwithstanding the shares fell 10% yesterday afternoon before the shares were paused and then subsequently halted until this coming Monday. Now, if you listen to this podcast after Monday morning, you'll you'll know what comes next. We don't yet. It's still only Friday morning here. The so- shares are still halted. And unfortunately for the poor buggers at WiseTech, they're not going to get to see their families this weekend, mate. They'll be uh, stuck in the office. Uh, the entire finance team has been called in. The sales and marketing team, probably, or the the, the, the head of those team have been called in. Um, there'll be fellow conference calls. There'll be lawyers' fees. There'll be all sorts of stuff going on at WiseTech headquarters. The midnight oil will certainly be burning. Uh, question though, mate, is this... Legitimate. I mean, is this? I've, I've talked about short sellers and I will again in a minute. Um, they have been known, some of them allegedly, to just be simply stirring up trouble of highly valued stocks, trying to create enough fear to profit. And frankly, that's a very evil but very profitable path. If you can find a stock that you can scare people out of, it sends a share price down 20, 30, 40%, and then you get to close your short position, you can make a lot of money doing that, even if there's no legitimacy to the claims. Now, in other cases, uh, Enron most notably I suppose if we want to go all the way back then uh, that was a very very well founded short case which was absolutely on the money and so that's what people think about I think is when you hear a short thesis you think well what if this is an entire fraud what if this company's worth a whole lot less maybe I should sell my shares that's why the shares crashed yesterday afternoon before they were halted
2: what comes next? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, uh, for disclosure purposes, WiseTech is a recommendation in uh, one of the services we run, um, Motley Full Pro. Correct. Um, So... Uh, I'll start by saying one thing. So
1: uh, let me me add quickly though, mate, uh, just to to be very, very clear, not as a recommendation, we actually own as a company those shares because we backed that portfolio with with With, originally a million dollars of our own cash mm -hmm. worth a lot more now due to the good work of you and your team, mate. So well done. Uh, but the, the wise tech position, we do own some shares as a company as well as it being a recommendation. That's
2: correct. Yeah. So uh, we have our members following it and we also own the stock in, 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 as recommended in terms of the allocation and so on in the portfolio. Yeah. So we have skin in the game. Um, um, so I read the report uh, as as soon as it came out, <laughs> uh, as you'd expect. Yes. Um, and here's the first thing I'll say. You know, so if, if somebody goes to the J Capital website, and mm-hmm. I'll paraphrase this, the first thing after you say, you know, you could say you're Australian or you're not Australian. <laughs> it depends on that, what you land up in. You know, I actually went there and the first thing they say on the website, which, which I actually would applaud, is that we are biased. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, that's are, we are short sellers. We yeah. are biased. Yeah. And... Um, we do our research, but we could be wrong. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we benefit when the stock falls. So so this is the number. So the short sellers, basically, they would borrow shares from others, sell them in the market. You know, they've got cash now in their bank and their hope is the shares are going to go down so that they can buy the shares later on the market and return it to the rightful owners of the shares, right? Right, right. Uh, Why do the owners give the shares away? Because they get to make some interest on that, you know, on the shares that other people are borrowing. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there, there's, there's financial transaction where people are making money here. So that's number one thing. To do. Now, I don't mean to say that, you know, uh, these guys um, are fabricating stuff. They they should you know they they must believe what they're saying, mm-hmm. and they've done. Now, the The problem I have here is is this. One of the things to remember is um, it is very hard as an outsider to you know you could claim that there is uh, revenue recognition problems here, mm-hmm. but I mean it's an audited account right I'm already an account and i mean if you don't believe that then you know you basically um making extrapolations here right, right right and you know you have to believe that expression is correct to <laughs> to make the claim right, now right. Does, th- does that mean that it doesn't happen it of course happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Has it happened in this case? We really don't know, wow. <laughs> and I'd rather wait for, excuse me, uh, for the report for the rebuttal, I guess, from the company to come. That's that's number yeah. one. I'll yeah. I'll say that. Number two is you know one of the things that what they point out was well this company was unspectacular for most of its pre-public life. Mm-hmm. It came on with small amounts of revenue, and the revenue has you know grown rapidly since then. How it's does that all true, happen- by the way. That's all true. How did that happen? Well, you know, sometimes it does happen <laughs> that a company has an unspectacular life. And I know a couple, I know actually a, a few others that have had unspectacular first 20 years, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then things happen. And, you know, the reason I'd say things happen is, you know, 20 years ago, there was no, the internet was not as widespread. Right. 20 years ago, we did not use internet-based technology and the cloud, as much as we use today, right? Really, the cloud has taken off in the last, you know, maybe five to ten years, and it's you know, and many industries, especially logistics industries, for example, I would, I would assume would be late adopters of this sort of technology. So, so there is there could be genuine reasons why the revenue has actually taken off at a much later stage right now we have cloud accounting well do you know do you really have cloud accounting um you know 15 10 15 years ago right so so i think that right. it's a little bit of a i mean the the comment is correct but there's always a rebuttal that's possible yep. right and that's I think the problem with any of these things is that you know there's a rebuttal possible for everything what do you believe yep. uh, you know honestly i think the the thing thing to realize here this is this is a pretty large company and one could say that the valuation is on the higher side mm-hmm. um that definitely then means that you know it is likely to attract attention from various types of people because uh i mean you know if if there you know if, if you think that there are issues and it's high valuation then you know there's 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 a chance that you know the shares can move actually down
1: um yeah i think that's right if if, if, we, if i was looking for if i if i was either cynically or even legitimately looking for a short case where i believed that the raising of either made-up claims or real claims, but in a way that could actually have an outsized impact on the share price. And those are both real things. You know, I don't like short sellers. I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, if I'm a a legitimate short seller who just simply likes that as a a way of making money and I'm allowed to do it, then nothing wrong with that, legally at least. Um, And if I can find a company I believe is probably doing the wrong thing, but also I can add in the fact that, hey, there's a high valuation. In other words, there's a lot of downside, frankly, between... You know, an optimistic valuation, something more reasonable if I can create some doubt. Uh, if I'm looking for a business and I want to say, well, if I can ha- find one that has a revenue recognition issue. Now, revenue recognition is an accounting term. If I go to a shop, pay with cash, and they give me the product, that's both the cash they get and the revenue at the same time. If I though was to take out a subscription with a, with a cloud accounting a provider, as you say, Doctor, use your example, and I take it out today, well, they have to recognize that revenue over 12 months. If I was to engage someone to do a whole lot of work for me that required a whole lot of upfront costs and then some revenue, well, then do I recognize the revenue all upfront because that's when the work was done, down the track over the life of the subscription? There are many, many ways the accounts are allowed, literally legally, ethically, morally, under the accounting stands allowed to be recognized. And so if I can do that, I can sort of make some claims or, or raise some doubts, then that's, issue, that's an issue. And then if I add on top of that, I looked at the list. I must say, mate, I was pretty impressed/slash um, amazed by the number of acquisitions WiseTech has done, and they did—they did claim that as again one of the problems. Now, is it a real problem, or is it simply raising enough doubt to muddy the waters? We don't yet know. Uh, They've—I I want to say twenty plus. I have didn't count it, but I imagine twenty odd companies since listing they've acquired over the life of their their life as a public company. And so, M and A acquisition, kind of accounting, um, what's organic, what's acquired growth, that kind of stuff. Again, really easy to. To potentially, if you're a com- if you're if you're a dodgy company, really easy to cover your tracks and make up stuff. If you're a dodgy short seller, really easy to claim that that could be made up stuff that covering your tracks. Mm. And if you're somewhere in between, then as an investor, you're left wondering what comes next. And I think, to my mind, that there are legitimate or not, whether even with even if the short case is right, um, in terms of they're right about their claims, it's there are some companies that's easy to make those claims about and to profit more from because they have certain characteristics that simply make it harder to defend against a short report like this one.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, I mean, you know, one of the things is that revenue – revenue recognition there are many ways as you exactly said Mm -hmm. right and the acquisitions i mean wise tech is an acquisitive company yes um has acquired a lot of things now most of the acquisitions are actually relatively small right so they acquired you know it's more like a tech type of at least an accu hire so you hire, you basically hire a bunch of people you get their tech you integrate it into your platform um, and, and then, you know, you it sort of expands your reach okay. in, in that sense. Yep, and then, sense. you know, you can do a bit of a land and expand type of strategy where you've landed a bunch of clients now, but yeah. they can be now moved to a bigger platform and they could be sold more things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you know, I can, yeah. So it's, again, as you said, those are the laundry list of things. Another thing I'd, I'd I'd point this out. I think this is important for people to realize. It largely because the pain of loss is so much higher than the pain, <laughs> you know the joy of gain, right? right? Right. So people are going to react. People's first reaction is let me run for the hills, yes, right? Yes. So that's why that's why you know the the moment the report comes out, the stock falls because people are just running for the hills. That's that's number one. Right. Number two, I think is like I mean yes, as long as we profit. From the stock going up, so in in a way we have a vested interest in the stock going up. They yes. have a vested interest <laughs> in the stock going down. Right, it's relatively equivalent, right? The the thing to keep in mind though is what is the track record of mm-hmm. the short seller? Now, like the Enron is a good example, right? I mean, you know, somebody could become famous for one short case. What is their track record overall? as a short seller. is right. really material to me because, you know, I mean, you know, are they just short sellers because that's what they think they can do well yep. but have they actually, you know, found enough shorts yep. uh, that are legitimate? Right, this right. is,
1: and you're a scientist, right? And you get this, I know. And, and this has always been my issue with the likes of the, the Dr. Dooms and the kind of, the people who are alleged to have foreseen the GFC or, or foreseen whatever big catastrophe is going to happen is you can, you know, th- there is no, there is no scientist in the world who would say, oh, you did that once. Yeah. I should listen to you forever after that, right? Exactly. The chance that's a, toin- a coin toss or worse is really, really high. Do it three times. You're still sort of going to believe them. Do it a dozen times. You're going to start to say, okay, maybe you're worth listening to. And so for all of the – and look, the media make it worse. On, on, on one on one hand, I blame them outright. The other hand, I don't blame them at all because all they can do is report what happened and and whatever. And as humans, we're the ones who are drawing the conclusions, the parallels. But at some point, you've got to say, as you, as you rightly said, even if they were right once or if they were wrong once – Frankly we shouldn't be imputing any or any greater or less expectation on the next decision. In fact there's probably a, a main version which says if you're, if, you know, whatever you did last time, you're probably likely to be the opposite next time just because these things actually average out rather than actually compounding.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, like the Endron one, as I said, is a, is a, is a, is a famous one, right? But, you mm. know, you found Endron once, does, you know, how many others have you found is the question I would ask. That's right. number one. Is it statistically valid, significant, and so on? Is the other thing valid? You know, and, you know, I wouldn't blame media per se, right? I mean, media is looking for headlines. They want clicks to happen. Right. They need news. So, I mean, <laughs> basically doing their job, right? right, right. Uh, they're reporting. The other thing to keep in mind is a, a so-called hedge fund mm-hmm. um, can set up shop. They can close shop, then set up shop on, on right, another, right, another right, right. name. I know that many such instances have happened in the past, right? Okay. Because, you know, well, that didn't work out. So you close shop and you move on to, <laughs> you know, you, you start another shop with another brand and then you again go short. So we can, yeah. like all of those things said I'm I am, Open-minded of the fact that yes, frauds do happen. Yeah, They you know, and even if we say that the auditors, I mean the audit, you know, again, it's like it's the the case is that the auditors have done their job. Let's say they've done. The best possible job, and mm. and I'm saying that they have done that. Even then, they can miss stuff because you right, know right, because right. of various laws, various you know uh, various regulations, various ways in which you know. After all, auditors are depending on you know management's interpretation of you know how the accounts are working and how the revenue is flowing and so on. So there's a lot of ways in which things can go wrong. So, um, yeah, yeah, like I mean, I, I think we need to keep an open mind whenever there's a short report and we need to see what the company says in response to that but um, you know, running for the hills at the first instance is probably a very like, you know, it's a very Saharan, you know, sub-Saharan, mm. 5,000 year ago uh, type <laughs> yeah, of, right. of reaction. <laughs> on because, the Savannah, yeah. Yeah, all, yep. uh, not, yeah on the Savannah, <laughs> I say Saharan, uh, You know, on the Savannah because, you know, yep. the lion is going to kill you. Right, um, right.
1: Uh, you're not gonna, you're not, you don't mind being wrong a couple of times if it means you save yourself from getting eaten, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I mean, in, in this case, I think, you know, if anybody has got a position which is not superly oversized right I mean yep. you're not really going to be eaten yep. uh, by whatever happens and if that's the case then you know you need to be patient and think through these things so yep. nice. um, yeah that's our intention
1: mate, I'm going to move straight from there to my rant my high horse you've taken some of my thunder which is probably good news for our listeners bad news for me because I don't like to rant makes me make me happy uh, mate, i I've ranted about short sellers before. I'm not going to rant about short sellers directly this time because people know my view and I would ban short selling outright if I was given the choice. And that is not because I'm along and they're short and therefore you know I'm trying to remove competition, although it would probably help me at least in some cases. I would do it because of exactly what you said, Doc, which is the way we respond to good and bad news. Not only do we feel the, we feel pain three times as much as we feel an equivalent gain, but compounding that, we're more likely to panic more Therefore, making that absolute size of that loss even bigger, and then feeling it three times as bad. So, you know, the, the idea of feeling gain or pain three times as much as we enjoy the the, the gain of the same amount. If you lose five percent with your shares, and you gain five percent, that that five percent you lose feels three times as bad, even though the numbers are the same. And the more rational our listeners will say, "But it's the same. I would feel the same." You know what you think you would, and maybe even you as an individual listener do, but the, every other one of your listeners, our listeners, I promise you, feel the pain of a five percent loss more than they enjoy the gain of a 5% winner right a 5% gain that's one thing add to that though the, the compounding factor that if you have a short thesis and a long thesis side by side you are going to or investors generally we know this from experience we can, there's millions of them Get Swift uh, Corporate Travel Management which I own and we've recommended um, Tech most recently what else have I missed Doc um, there were many the,
2: like, you know, there's Blue Sky those have like you know um, yep, yep. rural funds uh, rural most funds most yep um, so well.
1: when they when they happen, so the same the same long and short case side by side. They can never actually be the same, but but you know, uh, long and short case side by side. Also short. Yep. For, yep. Um, you know, if, if I if I release a report that says, guess what, I think WiseTick is great, the shares will go up. Maybe nothing. Maybe the former got half a percent. Someone else, someone who doesn't even have a reputation, says, I think WiseTick is bad, and his why the shares will fall ten. And in theory, on Monday morning, unless they have a really good rebuttal, probably further. Um, the reality is we simply respond more um, instinctively, more aggressively, more over the top to those cases. So not only do we feel the pain three times as much, the pain is actually bigger because it literally is, you know, a share price might go up a little bit on a bull, on a bull case report and a share, a share price that gets smashed on a bear case report, and then we feel that worse. That kind of compounds that pain. So they're they're, they're the issues I have with short selling. What I want to talk about a little bit was just not so much a high horse, it's more a warning for our for our listeners as we as we kind of proceed from the wise tech situation, whichever way this pans out. So it's not so much a, a high horse as, as a warning. Just be mindful that because you know now, because we've just I've just ranted about it, because we've just talked about it, Doc was more eloquent and thoughtful. I've just ranted. The um the the reality is there are going to be there's going to be another short case. There are other short sellers out there right now, legitimate or otherwise, looking at the ASX and trying to work out which company they can target next with a report like J Capital's to try and profit from a share price falling. Now, if you own a stock that is irregular, so if you've got a stock that is particularly highly priced. If it has a particularly messy mergers and acquisitions background, if it has a particularly unusual way of recognizing revenue, if it simply doesn't fit the mold, and again, I'm talking about say Rural Funds Group, right? They've got they had a they had a collection of, frankly, individual assets that couldn't easily be compared side by side. If you own office buildings and a certain amount of rent in a certain location, there's going to be one up the road, down the road, across the street. Um, you can pretty much line them up two by two and say, right, it's this big, it's this size, this is the value of it. Here's the rent, that makes sense. If you own a group of properties that can't easily be valued on the market because you've got a thousand hectare place here and a fifteen thousand hectare place on the other side of the country with beef cattle rather than sheep or with you know wine grapes rather than wheat, um, you know those things are incredibly hard to objectively externally value. And so, guess what? If you're trying to create doubt, if you're trying to raise some concerns, you're going to go after those companies that don't easily fit those molds. Now, the problem with that is that when they're successful, those are the companies that actually do deliver really, really strong results. And so this is kind of one of those strong stomach situations. People went short for Amazon on, on Amazon many, many, many times over multiple decades. Uh, people have been going short and long Tesla similarly in recent years. Now, in the fullness of time, we'll know which one of those do well or badly, or maybe they both do well, both do badly. That won't be the question. The reality is, if you've got a situation where you've got something that's unusual, something that's irregular, very, very, very easy for a short seller to target it because it's easy to raise doubts and concerns. Now, I can imagine a scenario in 1975 to pick a year where Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway may well have been shorted because well who's this guy from the Midwest of Omaha who does this stuff that no one else is doing and somehow he's making all this money and he may be just inventing profits and I could I you know I could I could write a pretty strong short case just based on we don't think it's possible that an investor could achieve these sorts of returns uh, we think that these sorts of companies he's buying can't possibly be worth this much money how is it possible an insurance company can own public listed assets and do well you could write a fantastic short case and was it true no but i could but i could i could raise a whole lot of doubt right now if that was only 1975 or 1985 1995 you can make a pretty good bear case for berkshire hathaway now we know 40 years later that would have been even if it did happen and, and the share price was volatile a profitable investment to continue to hold and so my warning for our listeners doc is that be prepared for short cases. You need to know it's going to happen. If you're investing in any sort of growth company, any sort of company that's doing anything differently, that has ambitions, you know, Steve Jobs said, you know, what is it? here's to the crazy ones. Um, the crazy ones are the ones that get called out, right, because it's easy to create doubt. It's easy to wonder if maybe they're getting it wrong. Now, sometimes they will be getting it wrong, by the way, so we're not saying arbitrarily you should always invest in these companies they will always win. What we're saying is just be mindful that it will happen. And so as an investor, if you're not ready for that yet, Please get yourself ready for it. If you don't Wise WiseTech shares, your company may or may not be next. Now, raises the question, Doc, I suppose as I finish my rant, just come down slowly off my elevated uh, level here, my my stand, my soapbox. Does that mean we should avoid or ignore companies that may get shorted?
2: Um, No. I think you should invest in companies that you believe um, have bright futures. But if I
1: avoided WiseTech on Wednesday, I could have avoided a 10% fall. Surely if I just never bought it, I'd be better off, wouldn't
2: I? Yeah, only if you knew. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be shorter, right? I mean, the the problem is this: you know, is a company going to become a ten bagger? You don't know. Right? Is a is a company going to be shorted? You don't know. I mean, right. the, the fundamental thing about investing is that there is a lot of don't knows involved, and you just have to acknowledge <laughs> that there's a lot. Anybody who says that I know everything, it's basically to, to to me actually that that's my starting point. Is anybody says, okay, I know this this and this is is true? Yeah. I said, well, I think I'm just going to call BS on that. Yeah. Right. so I think that's, that's the number one advice, thing man. so I, I think that, you know you just gotta re- realize as long as too not all the calls are gonna work out <laughs> as shorts, not all the calls are gonna work out yep. and you just need to make sure that overall the calls work out for you and, and and you know that's the beauty of investing is that if you get overall things right yeah you, it'll work out fine in the fullness of time. You can't make money right now. You make money over a period of time. And, and I think that's the thing that I think most people don't realize. It's just you just need to give time to do its magic.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good advice, man. I, I think, you know, I've used the example a million times. I'm going to keep using it because it's useful. I'll pick Amazon and we know that's some degree survivorship bias and I'm just picking you know picking a stock that I, I can justify it. So I'm not suggesting this is necessarily always the case or even mostly the case. But Amazon went from, I want to say, 3 to 100 and back to 9 if I'm right. Yeah, so maybe thirty like that. times your money, and then someone said, "Oh, short Amazon a hundred dollars," and it goes back to nine. They say, "See, I told you I was right." Now, for anyone who's followed it, and again, we both own shares. Amazon went from nine dollars to now the close off to eighteen hundred bucks. Well, I'm at
2: saying? one point it was two thousand
1: bucks. There I'd you go. Say. Right. So eight hundred ish now. I think, it's something like that. Whatever it is. Yeah. Anyway, the, you know, missing out that eighteen bagger, the eighteen times gain, because no, no more than that was it.
2: Well, if it was, if it was nine. It's because uh, tw-
1: the zero off that, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like twenty bagger. Yeah, yeah. So you know that sort of that sort of gain. You, you know, you want to be no, it's two hundred bagger. Um, oh, you, was it from
2: thirty to nine? Was it
1: or nine? So it was it was um, three to one hundred, then back to nine, then up to eighteen hundred. So yeah, two hundred bagger. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you've missed that because you were, the, the shoulders were air quotes right. Um, again, that's a stock that would have been really easy to get pushed out of the excitement, pushed out of the concern, pushed out of the whatever at that point. Now. If we knew what Amazon was going to do, of course you'd hold the shares. You didn't know that at the time, but that's kind of the point, right? So yes, you could avoid. You can avoid almost all of these short cases by simply investing in the small, boring, lowly valued. Um, you know, it's it's really easy to, to to avoid that. No one's no one's going to be shorting the, or at least not with any impact. Um, no, there's no, you know, none of these big, uh, fancy kind of scary short reports. There, people shorting all stocks all the time. You know, banks and everything else. Um, but, you know, a big, a big scary short report is not going to do it. If you want to avoid those, you simply avoid anything doing anyone doing anything different or new or original or, or growing at decent rates and, and, frankly, worth a lot. You could do that. I dare say if you avoided every possible short candidate, you'd be much worse off than buying them and occasionally getting one that goes against you.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is so true.
1: Let's move on.
0: Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward
1: slash triple M. Mate, is it WeWork 2.0, Latitude, the Australian financial company, the fifth largest lender in the country? I had no idea. I don't know where I I was under a rock, I think. So you think about large lenders, you think, okay, the big four banks, and then you think, okay, well, then there's Suncorp and Bengo and Adelaide Bank and Bank of Queensland, and you kind of do the list, and then someone says, actually, no, the fifth biggest lender, so basically the next one after the big four, is Latitude, a a private company, still now private, as it turns (laughs) out, um, who wanted to get themselves onto the ASX, make a bit of money for the private equity holders, a bit of money for the boss, ex-NAB executive Ahmed Fahour. Um It didn't go ahead. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go ahead even after they'd cut the asking price by 20%. Now, it's probably an unfair line to draw, but... WeWork's the IPO got pulled not that long ago. The company that rented off the space, and then kind of subdivided it up, and then re-rented it to, or re-released it to uh, to tenants at uh, at higher prices. Um, sold itself as a software company somehow. That's a whole different story. I don't think Latitude's exactly in that class, but we've still seen two large IPOs: one in the US and one in Australia. Now pulled from the market potentially for an extended period of time what's going on? Is there something in IPO land? Is there something in finance land? Was there something specific to Latitude? What? Where do you where do you come down on the question of why Latitude didn't quite make it to the ASX?
2: Yeah, so the Latitude is, is an interesting case because, I mean, the, I guess the guidance price at which they wanted to, um, or the offer price range, I mm. guess, at which they were trying to uh, um, have the IPO was going to price it at what, 12 times profit. Yep. Now, uh, that seems pretty
1: reasonable. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, you think about sort of bank, uh, it's lower than the average market IPO, uh, market P, I should say, and it's a little bit, oh, maybe it's bang on roughly what the banks are selling for now. I mean, it's not exactly an outlandish well, price to ask for.
2: Yeah, well, the ba- the banks, I think, like the Commonwealth Bank and stuff, are like 15, 16 times, <laughs> I, I, would, I would think, um, earnings.
1: So okay. Ned, net, as, a, as a kind of guy who doesn't mind looking at value occasionally, I'm thinking, well, latitude seems interesting, at least at this point.
2: Yeah, but but I think you know this this I think I think what people were asking for was more discount to <laughs> to the, to the <laughs> offer price for, uh, to take on the risk. I, I think the, the interesting point mm. here was that what I think the it's hard to know. Well, the first, the news was that it's oversubscribed or there's a lot of interest. And then there was not oversubscribed and there's not a lot of interest. Right. right. Um, I think part of the problem with latitude might be, so it's, it's, it is the, what the fifth largest lender, as you said, they, you know, they lend for things like you're to buy a, you know, Mac computer use a, uh, you know, latitude. Maybe you want to buy like Harvey Norman furniture, you use latitude. Now latitude actually, and, and they you know they, they decided they have got a buy now, pay later type of, you know, pay for 10 weeks mm. or, or 10 installments, no interest. Now, I think the, the interesting thing here is that there's a lot of fine print. There's no interest, that's true, but there's a lot of fees, mm. right? There's monthly fees in some cases. There's like, you know, one-off fees in some cases. So um, that's one aspect. So maybe the 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 growth is not as, as expected. Mm. Uh, maybe from, you know, sort of the buy now, pay later sector, which has been like growing fast. Mm. Um, the second thing to keep in mind is that there's a lot, you know, again, there's not, Enough hard collateral, I guess, for all the debt that you would bring with uh, you know these type of credit card loans, right? Right. Okay. I mean, is how does that work? I mean, you know, it's one thing to to price the bank, which have like a sort of a hard collateral in terms of okay, there's a property there with some bricks and some land, um, but you know, how do how do you deal that with that furniture? I mean, that furniture once that's been taken, it's pretty much worth twenty percent right, right. yeah, 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 yeah. of the price, right? Um, so. That I think finally I think the other thing is that you know the uh, in, while I, I feel for uh, the guys trying to do the IPO, mm. I like the fact that the market is not being overly exuberant and is being somewhat cautious in terms of deciding whether or not you know they want to pay up for for companies. Yeah, right. Right. Um, and that in a way is is a good thing. It in you know in an in an environment where there's a lot of you know, cash slushing around because of low interest rates and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, those are my thoughts on this.
1: It's funny though; like, I, I kind of agree. Well, I do entirely agree with your your point that you, know, you never want to see investors overpaying for stuff because that just kind of indicates that markets are getting a bit frothy and not very good. And you know, I guess if you're if you're a doomsayer, you want to see the markets crash. You can be right, but for the rest of us, we're trying to make some money here. So, um, slow and steady does win the race in investing. At least that being said, I, I mean, there's also no hesitancy to pay up for. Some companies, particularly tech, fintech, uh, we've talked about the, the previously high price of WiseTech, it'll still be, frankly, reasonably richly valued on traditional metrics even after this fall. Um, it, it feels a little bit like the market's, to use a fancy word, bifurcating. There seems to be two kind of paths right now. There's either really cheap or really expensive. There's either the true believers or the kind of you know wall of worry. where we're, we're worried at the market. We don't know what's coming next. Um, I mean, at one level... If you're paying, I mean, you know, Prometicus is, I think, 160 times earnings or something, I think the last time I looked at it, um, and yet you can't get latitude away at 12 times earnings. Are there two different types of investors out there? Are there two different types of markets? Are there two different types of companies? I mean, everything's got its price at some level, right? You and I wouldn't necessarily always buy the same companies or pay the same prices, but you know, we kind of both recognize that even if we're not, someone else is happy to for, for legitimate reasons, it just strikes me as, I, I mean, straight, straight out surprising. But even if even for latitude, you know, 12 times isn't that expensive, even, even if the asset quality is slightly less than a bank, even if, you know, assuming it's a reasonably well-run bank, it's not going to go broke anytime soon, and maybe it is, or it's not a bank, a finance company, um, assuming it's not going to go broke anytime soon, there's a price you'd pay, right? And I just, I, I mean, I'm still a little bit surprised there were not enough investors at that end of the market for that sort of company to pay that sort of price when there are other investors paying triple-digit PEs.
2: Yeah, so I mean, one interesting thing, dynamic here might be that you know, given the low interest rate environment, right? I mean, in it, in technically, mm. it must be easy for them, easier to actually find money, yep. to to lend out, and then basically charge essentially a nice margin on that, mm. right? Mm. Um, let say, I mean, at the same time, right? I mean, it is it's a company that's going to be very heavily tied to the economy, right? Mm um and it's going to be heavily tied to so it's going to be cyclical in that sense uh, maybe people are feeling well you know 30 years no recession you know how is this company going to behave at during a recession mm. you know are you are you paying 12 times of uh earnings of the you know maybe the top
1: mm.
2: or close to the top versus paying 12 times of normalized it's again i think those are sort of the questions again depends on the level of debt they've got, what's their growth runway, how are they going to be competing with the other categories, uh, you know, buy now, pay later, and all the other, you know, sort of things. They're also competing with the banks. Um, If the growth is not going to be that substantial, why wouldn't you buy, if you want to buy a bank and maybe earn some dividends, why wouldn't you buy, uh, you know, Westpac or CBA versus, you know, at 14 or 15 or whatever it is versus buying something at 12?
1: Yeah, okay.
2: I, I think those are the questions. I mean, I I don't know like I mean Mm, uh, it's mm. again 12 I would say that 12 times sounds reasonable but maybe not necessarily cheap is is I mean it depends on what the growth runway is right I mean if the growth runway is there then 12 times is like cheap but I, I my suspicion would be that probably the growth is is questionable
1: I think you're probably right but again I just I don't know if you if you're if you're investing that in into the market you you own bank shares for example 15 times why you wouldn't want to own some latitude as well instead diversify something at 12 times I again we'll know in the fullness of time right maybe this was a great IPO to miss out or maybe the company goes broke in 3 years time maybe it's just a really really horribly risky business that is simply not you know justified by the price
2: but, so here's maybe a question right how much is the you know it's a rough take just come mm. came to my mind right now which uh, which is always risky when something comes to your mind <laughs> how much is the PE of something like Bank of queensland right maybe that's probably a more reasonable compare right mm. I mean something like a regional bank uh with sort of a lender mm. which is maybe the fifth largest lender but in a different category mm. and and maybe that's what we expect like I mean you know Bank of queensland has has had some difficulties of late earnings are shrinking going yeah. backwards yeah. so maybe that's the sort of fear that if you're not a big four, then uh, you don't have enough market clout to mm, mm, you know, like yeah, I mean possibly. you know, I don't know how much Bank of Queensland is,
1: but so you, you talk long enough, mate, to kindly to give me enough time to log into my brokerage account and check. So 12.8 12.9 times earnings. Yeah, so so
2: if it's like you know, Bank of Queensland is at twelve times with you know earnings going backwards, mm, maybe yeah. this twelve times is just about fair value. Um yeah. without knowing much. I, I don't know. I mean
1: I don't know. I don't know. look. I am not rushing. I am not saying people should have bought um, latitude. I haven't looked at the, the IPO documents. Funnily enough, I wasn't invited to participate. Um, but I, I I, you know, I, I, mean, I get, I, I get, you know, I am I'm I'm off people saying too hard, walk away, don't know, all that kind of good stuff. I just feel like if it is, if it is, again, we I haven't seen the financials. If it's a decently run business, even in the financial space, twelve times earnings. I mean, you've, you've got to you've got to assume a bit goes wrong relative, even even just on a relative basis. Compare to say Comsec at sixteen, right? Like, think about the, the mortgage exposure, everything else. Is is it really that much worse to be selling for I don't know twenty percent less on a PE basis? It, again, it's not even a question of either or. It's like, well, if you've got a portfolio for Comsec, wouldn't you want to add a little bit of latitude and sell some Comsec to do it, or Bankers not Comsec? Um, I, I don't know. Again, maybe, maybe it's in the whole thing. I just it just it struck me as unusual. Um, that it wasn't an overly demanding price given generally an, an appetite for these sorts of businesses on the ASX.
2: Captain, you know what you should do? You should send a tweet out to the CEO and the P, the PE people Yes. so that you are happy to pay um, uh, you know, 11 times or 11 yes. and a half times. There you go. And just buy the whole business. Yeah. There, there I'll you put
1: on the credit card. Yeah. Per- <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I don't know what do. I'll use a latitude buy now, pay later option. <laughs> yeah,
2: use a latitude credit card and buy some stock. Just it buy it the whole the next,
1: thing. Pay it off over the next five years. Uh, Interest free. Yeah. All right. Mate, uh, should we get on the bar Yeah, let's do that. Let's do it.
0: Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people,
1: not trust fund hippies.
0: Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All
1: right, mate. So I'm I am pretty excited. We've uh, we've had a couple of Insta questions again this week. And I'm new to Instagram. I've got about, I think, three followers or something. Uh, so we are on all the socials. I'll take the opportunity now. If you are thinking about getting in contact with us, please do. You can get us on Twitter. Uh, Doc is at Mahanti. I'm at Scott, uh, TMF Scott P, TMF Scott P, or The Motley Fool is at The Motley Fool AU. Hit us up on Twitter, ask us a question, leave us a comment, um, give us some feedback. You can, of course, use Instagram, as I just mentioned, at The Motley Fool AU again, or at TMF Scott P. Doc is yet to make his Insta debut.
2: I'm not making an Insta debut. Never, 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 never say I never. I am off any <laughs> Facebook property. Um, yeah.
1: Until Facebook owns the world you're a force to, mate.
2: Um, uh, until Facebook is broken up, I am so not <laughs> going to be on those Facebook
1: properties. Or if you are on Facebook... I am, and you can too. Uh, you can hit us up. Uh, the Motley Fool Australia is our Facebook company page, or I'm Scott Phillips Money is my kind of page as opposed to my personal account, because as much as I love our listeners, you don't want to see my family photos, trust me, and I don't want to see yours. So uh, my, my, my page, as opposed to my, my kind of profile, is Scott Phillips Money. So hit me up there. All right, mates, um, let's get into the mailbag. The first, as I said, Insta question, as I inferred, um, was came from uh, Alex. As the underscore one one six eight is his Instagram handle. I think they call them handles, don't they? I can't oh, keep up with the cool kids, mate. It's handles. All right. So, so this is one especially for you, mate. Alex says, "Hey guys, loving the podcast. Such a great listen on my drive to and from work each day. Excellent, Alex. Thank you." He says, "Keen to get your thoughts on cybersecurity shares on the ASX. Do you have any thoughts? They also do micro caps." Would you recommend an ETF instead? Cheers, guys, and hashtag full on. I love the hashtag. I love the hashtag too. Hashtag full on. Uh, Doc, I'm going to punt this straight to you because my answer is I've got no bloody idea. Hmm. Uh, So I'm not going to help Alex at all on this one, not because I don't want to, just because I can't. And uh, we are in the very fortunate position, mate. Unlike almost all of our peers, we get to say I don't know without any ramifications for our company or our careers. So I don't know anything about cybersecurity shares on the ASX, but I imagine you might.
2: Uh, no, a little bit. Uh, so, Alex made uh, I think great observation first to say that a lot of those stocks that he has found are microcaps. Um, sure, some microcaps can be great, but some microcaps can be really dangerous because they are microcaps. It basically <laughs> means they're small, really tiny companies with tiny revenues, if they have revenues, and you know, and they could potentially at some point go bust if things mm-hmm. don't work out. Uh, that's it's, it's great to know that that's the case because then you can choose accordingly. Um, there aren't actually, cybersecurity is not a hot, uh, I mean, it's a hot area overall, but there, there aren't many companies on the ASX that actually do... Um, I'd say, you know, that are pure place in cybersecurity. We, we have a pretty good space in SaaS. Hmm. We have got, uh, you know, uh, fintech, a lot of fintech stuff. But um, cybersecurity is not stuff that we actually are, you know, we, it's not it's not something that we have. And uh, not because
1: you're avoiding it as a sector just because you haven't found any investable ideas Yeah, yet
2: Yeah, it's like, yeah. There aren't, when I say there aren't, they're just no, there are not enough companies of worth, Worthy companies that I've at least I have found, right, right. Uh, you know there, there are lots of small companies again, yeah. which which you know over time could bubble up. So that's number one. And
1: some may well do well. You just don't have enough confidence just yet to put your money behind it.
2: Yeah, exactly. So so we haven't actually on on extreme opportunities too. We haven't really recommended anything in the cybersecurity space. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot of SaaS type of companies on on in the tech space there. Um, in terms of ideas, ETFs. Yeah. So there, there are a couple of ETFs uh, I think that you can find which. Uh, which cover the cybersecurity space. These are most mostly ETFs that give you exposure to international stocks. It could mm. be good for diversification. There's one called Hack, uh, which so we, that's the
1: code, right? H A C K. Yeah, actually,
2: that's the code. It's the cybersecurity. Um, <laughs> I just love it because it's you know it almost sounds hack sounds like the name it should be called <laughs> HAC, the Hack ETF <laughs> because it's the anti Hack ETF. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's the cybersecurity um, uh, ETF. Right. Um, it's got a long name, uh, but that we've recommended that. Uh, that's
1: U.S. companies or Australian companies. I can't no, remember. so that's
2: that's that's basically I think um, U.S. listed companies. Right. Um, some most of the you know, it's not, I would not call it a pure play cybersecurity in the sense that they have got other you know some networking companies and so on included in it, which yeah. are not really hundred percent pure play cybersecurity but they know they have got a cybersecurity interest like i think they like own for example cisco right, which right, has got right. a cybersecurity interest but it's not really a cybersecurity pure play that that's a good etf to own because it's diversified it gives you exposure to some of the cybersecurity space uh gives you exposure to uh, a lot of different companies we as i said we we own it in um uh, in the multiple pro that's one that i, I think people can look at in um, the micro cap space, just, you just got to look and know what you're looking at and then decide.
1: Uh, Beautiful. Well done, mate. And good question, Alex. Obviously, a very good question because Doc's already thinking along those lines. Cybersecurity is going to be a much bigger issue over our lifetimes, I'm sure. And the hack ETF may well be one way to play it. Mates, last question for now because we're coming up on 53-odd minutes and, frankly, while we started this as a short podcast, it always gets longer, but we'll try and keep it try and keep it short. Well, not make it any longer anyway. Put it that way. Question from Zach. I love this question to finish us off, mate. Um, well, I, I would love it more except he gives you some praise, so I, I don't love necessarily.
2: Sometimes some people are going to praise oh, me too. Like, I, know, I, I'm a, you know. I
1: know. I just rather I get the credit, mate, frankly, around here.
2: Oh, you get it the most of the time, anyways.
1: No, I don't. I was accused of waffling you're, last you're, week, the You're week the chief investment officer,
2: right? <laughs> everything that's right... I get all
1: the reflected glory. Is that y- what you're saying? Well,
2: everything that's right is all your credit. <laughs> and all the rubbish that happens is basically our problem, right?
1: I'm, I'm tempted <laughs> on your on your uh, tacit approval to reword the question, but I won't. <laughs> uh, Zach says, hey, Scott, I'm up 90% on Megaport. In brackets, big thanks to Doc. Well done, mate. Congratulations. And I'm sure your other members thank you as well. But he says, should I add to this position at this price or should I wait? How can I know when to top up on my winners versus buying a new stock? I love this for lots of different reasons about Megaport. I, I love the question about adding to winners. I love the question about where to put new money. Um, so a really, really good combination. And, and it's a really big question for a lot of people, mate, is you know, uh, there- there's-, there's two groups of people, right? This group of people will say, the stock's already up, I've missed my chance. Or they'll say, the stock's down. I'm not gonna buy it when it's down. I'll wait till it goes up. <laughs> And often those are the same people. It's very easy to psych ourselves out of investing, right? Either we don't want to buy. You know, we should have all been buying at the bottom of the GFC, but everyone didn't because they were scared. We should have all been, you know, arguably selling after Amazon doubled, then tripled, then doubled, then tripled, then doubled, then, then, then tripled again. But we didn't because it was up so much. Or Apple. I'll, I'll throw one of yours at you because I've mentioned Amazon a dozen times already. Um, and yet, in in either and both cases. You know, it was always, you should have been buying the bottom of the GFC and you should have been buying it at every, almost every um, historical high price for Amazon or Apple shares, just because, you know, the shares kept largely going up. So in that case, because they will buy anything anytime, of course, the, the markets also listed with plenty of stocks that flew high and then came off their highs, never to retrace them or spend a long time. And maybe Microsoft is a great example. It took 15 years to regain its, GF, its um, .com crash highs or pre.com crash highs. So, you know, there's no easy answer to this one. Hence, I think, Zach's question. So, Megaport, great result. You can talk about Megaport if you want, but I'm far more interested to know, because I'll give you the credit for Megaport, how should someone know whether to add to a winner or wait or buy something else?
2: Yeah, so uh, I'll just just quickly add on Megaport. So, you know, uh, Megaport... um, Two of our colleagues actually uh, have egged me to look at MegaPort. So <laughs> Andrew Leggett actually, um, uh, you know, first mentioned it to me when it was actually a really small company, uh, and then Kevin Gandia later on again mentioned to me, like you know, we should look at uh, look at this company. So that's how I actually got recommended. Mate, so bro, give,
1: remember though, you've just said I get all the credit for this. Don't give so much credit to our mates. They're okay, so, but yeah, you know,
2: sometimes we've got to give give you know pass some credit <laughs> to the other guys too, right? We do. I we mean, do. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew so and
1: it, uh, Kevin are great ke- great investors, and we're very very. Lucky, and our members are very fortunate that they're on our team.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, so that, so I think with, with specifics to like when to add, so I'll I'll answer it generally in in generic, and then hmm. you know quickly comment on on Megaport. Beautiful. So, in general, um, when I like, if I buy something, I would buy what I call, um, especially for higher risk stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I generally, if I like it, I buy a startup position. Like, you know, startup position varies from people. It's really a personal preference thing. Mm. Uh, for me, it's anywhere between a 1% and a 2% allocation to uh, to my portfolio, right? right? Um, for some, it might be more. So you've got a
1: $100 million portfolio, you're putting $1 or $2 million behind it, is that what are saying? Captain, I don't have. <laughs> uh, if I
2: had a $100 million portfolio... Um, Maybe I wouldn't be here.
1: Ah, oh, you'd be here. You'd be here. <laughs> I'd
2: still be, here. <laughs> but but I don't have. I You take, let me you take one two percent of
1: your portfolio, whatever that is. Yeah. And you're putting that in yeah. as a startup position into your yeah. new yeah. stuff. I'm just
2: going to clarify. I don't have 100 million dollars. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> so so with that with that said, okay. So that's that's number. So I started the startup position. Then mm-hmm. when so you know Zach's question, made, This is brilliant. When do you add? Mm-hmm. This, again, I think is a very personal thing, right? It's a personal thing because I prefer to add when I have more confidence in the business. Mm-hmm. And by that, I basically mean there's been good execution. So in, in, in terms of a company, there's been more customers, more revenue. Okay. Their dominance is, is, uh, is growing, yet they still have a long runway for growth.
1: So it's kind of, it's kind of justifying your faith. It's by, just by, delivery, by delivering business performance, you're kind of like, well, I kind of hope they'd keep doing well, and they are. So I kind of feel like my thesis is playing out somewhat.
2: Exactly. And, and of course, price is a consideration. Now, if, if I'm looking at companies that have a, you know, multi-bagger potential, then mm. um, I'm, I'm easy on the price. I'm not saying that I'll pay any price, but I'm easy on the price. I'm not going to quibble over you know a few cents, a few percentages up and down. Um, I'm going to be okay with that. Now, in... Um, this often what happens is when a company is actually succeeding, the price goes up, which basically means you're all, you know you're typically buying on the way
1: up. Right, and that's um, hard, man. That's I've, really hard. I gotta say, even <laughs> you know I've been doing this for a long time, and I've, I've managed to overcome mostly my aversion for paying higher prices. And some of our re-recommendations of higher price stocks have done pretty well. But I still, even even for our services or for me personally, I still look at a price and go, well, I kind of like it. At, Ten, but gee, it would have been nice to get it at five or seven yeah. or eight. And I mean, it's gone up so much now. Is there really enough left? And I'm not so sure. Like, it's it's still a really hard thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Anyway,
2: yeah. And then and the question he's asking is, should I add to my winner versus you know add buy a new stock? Again, right. this is really a question about how much do you want to put in one company mm. and how big your portfolio want to be. And again, there's no real easy answer in the sense that you know like. Uh, do you want to own 50 stocks? Do you want to own mm. 30? Um, somewhere between 15 and 30 probably gives you the amount of diversification that you need. Um, it again, I think you need to factor in the um, the risk level mm. of your company. So mm. if your companies have higher risk, then I think you want to own more. Um, so if you own like extreme opportunity style companies, then I would say that, you know, 15 is too less. You probably want way more than that because right. there, there is a chance that you're going to lose you know money on more then say you, mm-hmm. you would say a few or more of them than you would say from share ShareAdvisor, yep, yep, yep. uh, largely because of the type of companies and the sort of the early in the stage of evolution that they are.
1: So to play, to play that out a little bit, just to, just to clarify that, because it's a really important point. What you're saying is there's going to be, hopefully, a few companies in that in that group that do really, really well and a decently large number, a minority, but a decently large number who will do poorly to one degree or other because there's such early stage companies that the ones who win will win hugely. The ones that don't win may well crash and burn Lose decent amounts of money, or just simply go nowhere. And so the reality is, you don't know which is which. And the 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 wider the range of outcomes, the more you want. So you don't accidentally buy the wrong small number. You're better off having a large number of, of possibles um, than a small number who may or may not. Like if the if the small number goes really really well, you're a genius. But the small number, you know, if you have twenty out of fifty that don't go anywhere, if you only buy five or six stocks, there's a very good chance you're going to have three, four, or five of those twenty in that group.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. so so that, that's correct. And so no, no. Then with respect to this particular stock, and in, so in respect to our service, we recently, not too long ago, started this uh, you know, best buys now feature, mm-hmm. which basically gives people an idea of which, which sort of you know three stocks we think that you could, you know, from among the existing recommendations that you know you can mm-hmm. have a look at, uh, to add if you're looking to add. And most of the time, we're actually looking at business performance, and then you know looking at a price. We've actually not put mega port. On, on a BBN yet.
1: Right. Um, a, and, BBN? And,
2: uh, a BBN? Huh? A BBN? A Best Buy's now. Right. Right, yet. And I, I, I'll clarify that. So the, I think the company's execution has been really, really solid. Um, and their North mm. America execution has actually been really, really good. Mm. The problem with that has been that... The market has also realized that their North America execution has actually been really, really good, <laughs> which is why right. he's sitting on ninety percent uh, gains. We, I think we have a double on that stock on on our scorecard. Well um, uh, but that's basically, I think, the price. It's <laughs> some of that has actually been priced in. So what by, by that, what I mean is, effectively, if you own the stock, continue owning it. If you don't actually own a position, I think you know yeah. you can effectively open a position, and we're happy we have left it as a buy. Uh, I wouldn't overweight it yet. We haven't done a double wreck, for example, for that reason is that it, it, there are still, you know, it's still a company that's burning money, right. right? It's growing really, really fast in a very important market, but it's still burning money. And I think the tipping mm-hmm. point, I like to see the tipping point happen now at some point when the, you know, when it, when it tips over and it actually becomes profitable mm-hmm. and, uh, or at least, Stops burning money, and that's that, that's a good point because again, you know, uh, this is you so know self
1: sustaining at that point, right? Self
2: sustaining. SDNs, so, so which is software defined networking, and which is basically elastic bandwidth. Which these guys, this is a hugely important area. It's one of the few you know public companies that's doing this uh, and doing it really, really in a well mm-hmm. nice way. Uh, they've got a really good team so they've got a lot of things in the checkbox they've raised capital a number of times it's, again those were good points to when they're you know raising capitals you could actually participate in the capital uh, you know the the capital okay. infusion yeah, right. yeah. Um, and and at least not diluted your stake and and probably got it in at a good price so I think that's what I would say with, with this particular company so I would not overweight it mm. um, I'd stay with my allocation um, if if I didn't own it I would be happy to own some um, but I'd just I I'm looking for a turning point sort of thing in this particular investment case.
1: Mate, for those listeners who've stuck with us for the hour, that I think is probably the most interesting and useful piece of information we've given, despite my wonderful rants earlier on. Um, mate, so thank you for that. I think if you are an investor who's just started out already, if you've been investing for a little while, rewind five, 10 minutes, whatever, if I need to go back, have another listen to what Doc just said. That's a really, really smart way to think about the psychology of investing, but also the specifics, the things you need to be aware of, the things you should be paying attention to, Particularly for early stage companies, when you're trying to evaluate the risk and potential return, yes, you're giving a bit of a return if you wait a bit longer, but you may well be reducing the risk meaningfully, and that might just see your portfolio tip from a good return into potentially a great one. So, well done, Doc. That's excellent, guys. That wraps us up. We've made it. We made it. But before well, we, go, we made it or they made it. Well, <laughs> well, we've we've definitely made it because we've we've, uh, we've we're almost finished. So we're gonna we're finished now. Can't quite go and have a beer yet. It's still morning, but yeah. Well, Might go have lunch somewhere. Uh, But if you're listening this far, you have also made it well done. And thank you, as always, for listening. By now, you probably know you can subscribe, and we think you should, to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, and why wouldn't you? And frankly, if you're stuck with us for the last hour, you probably do. Uh, Please give us a rating on iTunes. Leave us a review. Tell your friends. We're sure they could use a little foolish straight talk too. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on.
0: The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.